Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 280 of the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Today we are covering why you need estrogen. So estrogen at times can kind of get a bad rap with all this talk of estrogen dominance and of course estrogen-related cancers. And so today we've decided to kind of cover the brighter side of estrogen or all of the reasons that as women we require estrogen in the body and that too low of estrogen can be a major risk factor for disease as well. Yes. So I think that in today's episode, there's going to be a lot of aha moments, and this extends all the way from youth, actually. You know, estrogen plays a role in bone growth for both men and women um, as that steroidal hormone. Um, But, you know, even from teens all the way through optimal fertility timeline into perimenopause and menopause and beyond. So we decided when we did our gentle aging uh, episode that we need a whole deep dive on estrogen. And we are going to be, of course, covering a lot in the world of perimenopause and menopause, but also about the impact of estrogen in our teens for mood, depression, anxiety, and so much more. So today's going to be a great episode. Grab a pen and uh, we hope that you enjoy the content. Yes. All right. So at the time of this episode airing, you've got one week to grab a spot on our women's wellness retreat before we close sales at the end of February. So if you're dragging your feet or haven't committed or are still looking for your sister to come or something like that, now is the time. Yes, we have still a couple beds likely available at this time of air. You can go on over to AllieMillerRD.com. Uh, you can click on the top banner where there's retreat tag and also just search the term retreat on our search bar. And that's where you can select your lodging that is available. Um, we do have some private beds. We have some shared bed options, some private rooms uh, with a private bathroom and vanity as opposed to the most affordable option of a solo bed in a group sleep room of eight different beds kind of bunk style Um, and it's also going to be in various price points so that hopefully you can find something that works best for your budget Uh, but this is going to be such a fantastic event I know that it's going to be a highlight of the year likely for Becky and myself and we just had a meeting last week talking about all the logistics down to the level of the menu for the cooking class that we're doing on Saturday night and the bluegrass band that we booked for our barbecue Texas welcome party on Friday to the savasana we're going to be doing under the stars at the end of closing that night out um, to food as medicine facials and so much more there are going to be food as medicine workshops daily i will be doing a total of about six hours of lecture but the longest lecture will be like 75 minutes or something like that so you'll definitely have time to absorb pick my brain ask all of your specific questions and i think honestly one of the most important elements is just taking the time for self-care and you know 
plugging into the outlet, if you will, of other like-minded women in this strong wellness women warrior community to maintain that sense of strength in times of opposition, to just fill your cup and your spirit with joy and belly laughs, and to just, again, take some time for yourself. So regardless of where you are in the life stage, uh, this is something that can be a really empowering place and a great way to kick off the spring, March 25th through the 27th in Dripping Springs, Texas. Fuel your food is medicine passion with us at our Women's Wellness Retreat. Go on over to AllieMillerRD.com and be sure to snag your spot. All right. And then other updates from us. Our 12-week meal plan is rocking and rolling by the time this episode airs. I think um, those that started um, right in January will be at week seven. Something uh, like that. six or seven. Yeah. Um, I know you just made those delicious keto cheddar biscuits, like a sun-dried tomato Spinach version. Yes. Yeah. Sun-dried yeah. tomato spinach, um, which turned out really amazing. Made those during the freeze. And um, I've been having so much fun just getting back into the kitchen and focusing on variety of textures and flavors. And we've heard such amazing feedback from all of you. You get each week of the meal plan kind of dripped into an email campaign. So each week you'll get an email with your grocery list, your matrix or layout of your meals and snacks, as well as of course the recipes and every recipe is going to have some food as medicine focus. And it's a great way to just kind of stay um, abundant in the world of food as medicine maintain variety, um, play with just different flavor profiles that maybe you wouldn't use in your household or staples. And what I'm hearing is not only are you guys getting 12 weeks of, of value from this, but this is really extending because I'm already at week four with many of my clients and you know they're like, okay, well, week three, I only was able to make seven of the nine recipes, but they were so good that I'm going to roll over my two recipes yep. I didn't make. Um, so I think that this will really last upwards of like four months for most of you versus just the three months that we market it as. Okay. Totally, and especially because a lot of the dinners are geared toward a family of yes. four. And so if you're not a family of four and you're just cooking for two, you're going to have enough leftovers that you yeah. can kind of strategically plug those dinners in as lunches ongoing or yeah. um, you can use them as, as dinners the next week. So there's a lot value there. Absolutely. Yes. And then um, once you, we do get through this whole first round, when you purchase it going forward, we'll have kind of a compressed PDF in your digital files. So you can access that at all times. You don't have to like save the emails, but you can also hard download these files, save them on your desktop or a flash drive or however you'd like. So you have access forever. Yeah. A lot of people are printing them too and like highlighting, yeah. marking up, which I like to do that too. Me so too. Yes. All right. Um, last but not least, before we get into today's topic, let's have a quick word from our sponsor for this episode, Fond Bone Broth. Yes, y'all know that we love Fond Bone Broth. They are really wellness well-made from their slow simmering, lovingly tendered bone broths all the way through sealing them in their iconic, beautiful glass jars, which they've just facelifted their labels. Uh -huh. Have you They're seen so them? Pretty. The color story yep. is fantastic. I was like, ooh, there's like a really light sagey green on the Bouquet Garni one. And I'm like, whatever that color is, that sea foamy color, I want that somewhere in my new house. Yes, yeah. <laughs> whoever their artist is. Yeah doing it right. Big ups for that. But beyond, of course, them just looking pretty, they are really providing you a sous chef in a jar, a great way to elevate weeknight meals, whether you're deglazing a protein and making a sauce or wilting down and simmering and braising some greens or just sipping on a delightful mug. It's been a great way for me to cut my caffeine because instead of going for a midday 
tea or coffee, I'm going for a mug of bone broth, a great way to get that L-glutamine for gut lining support as well as glycine, which can be very supportive for connective tissue, neuromuscular relaxation, and giving us that building block for GABA, which is that neuroinhibitory mellow out de-stress component. And I know that that's a great way to also mitigate those afternoon or evening cravings because if you're mellowing out your stress response, you're not going to have as much of that impulsive nature and you're also going to be feeling a nice release while you're actually getting to the depth of restoring gut health, which means that your immune system is happening and you're less susceptible to overall inflammation in the body with less leaky gut. Um, so go on over to fondbonebroth.com slash RD. Check out all of their variety of flavors. Um, you know, if you've heard us talk about doing a bone broth fast, you can always pulse this in the middle of your wellness protocols. Doing like four jars a day of fond actually provides you with a substantial amount of nourishment. You're going to get 80 grams of protein in four jars of fond bone broth. So this is a very simple way that you can do a fast to kind of offset some indulgence and get ready for spring summertime and lighten things up. So going over to fondbonebroth.com slash AllieMillerRD and then use AllieMillerRD as a coupon code at checkout and you will save on your first order and let them know that you heard about them in the Naturally Nourished podcast. All right. So getting into today's topic, I really think it's important here to present a more balanced picture of estrogen. Yes. We've covered, you know, several episodes on estrogen dominance. Um, and, you know, not to say that's not a real thing and affects, you know, a lot of our client base, um, but it seems like estrogen can kind of become demonized. And I think women end up like taking dim because, you know, they heard about all these bad things that estrogen can do, or they have some of the symptoms of estrogen dominance and sometimes they'll drive themselves to low estrogen. Absolutely. And I see this often early, you know, women in their mid twenties or mid thirties, which can overall impact fertility. And as we'll talk about in today, many factors of quality of life, as well as, um, you know, interfering with optimal health. So we will be covering next week, actually the bad. We were actually going to make one podcast episode called like estrogen, the good, the bad, and the something, I don't know. Um, the good, the bad, and the scary, I guess, or something like that. And, um, Um, It just got too bulky. And so instead of doing two parts, this is all about why you need estrogen. And if you're confused or have deeper dive questions on concerns, next week is when we'll go deeper into HRT or hormone replacement therapy, the concept of bioidentical versus synthetic, cancer risk, and all that world of updates on estrogen dominance and connecting in detox and all of that jazz. But again, we find in the functional medicine world, just like cortisol, often with that, like you said, demonization or just noting it myopically tunnel vision of bad, we have to think of the function of the hormone in the body, what it serves, and why you might need to consider or second guess suppressing your estrogen and instead maybe supporting your body in enhancing its production of estrogen for more balanced health approach. Yes. All right. So let's first just cover exactly what estrogen is and some of the things that it does for us in the body. 
Yes. So estrogen is the primary female hormone produced in the body, and it is responsible for a myriad of functions. It plays a role in our nervous system. It plays a huge role with our hypothalamus in maintaining that kind of regulatory function in our body. So body temperature regulation. Um, We think of also enhancement of endorphins or those feel-good brain chemicals. And this is where we've seen, you know, hospitalization back in the 1940s of women that were going through menopause or or perimenopause and um, going to psychosis wards because of dynamic dips in mood. And so we do know that estrogen does have that harnessing effect on our nervous system um, and that can impact our neurotransmitters. It plays a big role with our skin quality and um, can aid with turgidity or tautness in the skin. Um, We know that it plays a role in bone um, development, um, bone growth in youth as well as strengthening of bones and preventing bone loss as we age. It plays a role in regulating cholesterol metabolism and production in the liver. And it plays a role with increasing vaginal acidity, which that in its sense plays a role in reducing the risk factor of bacterial infection. So if we're talking about BV, bacterial vaginosis, or we're talking about yeast infections or UTIs, the main connection there, like we've talked about with stomach acidity, you know, you need that ample pH of that high acidity to fight off pathogen or bacterial overgrowth. So same thing in that vaginal canal when the estrogen levels decline decline, the acidity goes down and the vaginal canal becomes too basic and that creates susceptibility towards infection. And then we also know that estrogen plays a role in hair, um, hair health in general, so hair growth and can prevent hair loss or thinning. Sure. And then not to mention all of its different functions in the female body when a woman is cycling, so playing into her menstrual cycle. And we'll get into all of that as well as the link to fertility and all of the things. Yes. Um, Let's just cover um, real quick some ways that estrogen can get thrown off in the body and become too low over time. So what are kind of some of the risk factors to watch for? Sure. So one thing to follow is, of course, aging would be the most kind of known um, and acknowledged in the sense of as we transition into this perimenopausal phase, we start to see shift in our menstrual cycle and often it's marked by a estrogen decline. So as we age mid-30s and on, and and that range can vary based on the individual, we're going to start to see a slow and steady decline of estrogen. Um, So that's life cycle oriented, if you will. But then we can also see risk factors that you can control, like excessive exercise, um, Um, We've talked about this in the world of hypothalamic Mm -hmm. amenorrhea or loss of menstrual cycle, but basically if you are over-exercising, that can suppress the sexual hormone production pathway. The body basically doesn't feel safe to be in that reproductive regulatory mode. Um, So we can see this also exacerbated with hypocaloric uh, intake or restriction of calories. This can be seen in eating disorders like anorexia or even, again, for those that are health-minded doing too much extended fasting sure. or overstressing, overextending their fasting window and overexercising. We see a lot of that um, where maybe someone wouldn't deem an eating disorder, right, but they right. are clinically maybe starving right. themselves when we look at a step back of their overall intake and body's demands. Sure. And like percent body fat for sure could play a big role here when women are getting into, you know, the 18, 19 and lower than that. Percent um, body we fat, become yeah. concerned for sure. And I'll link that episode that we did on, um, I think it was like, Getting Your Cycle Back was yeah. the, the title of it. So I'll link that um, just for a more deep dive on 
amenorrhea specifically. Okay. And then um, we can think of in our anatomical function, kind of connected to the stress axis, but just as a gland dysfunction if there's pituitary issues. So if a woman has a pituitary tumor or just a low functioning pituitary gland, the pituitary is what's going to stimulate the sex hormone production. It's also the gland in the brain that makes the FSH and LH, so the follicular stimulating hormone and the luteal hormone. Um, So if the pituitary is low functioning, um, we can also see indicator of a connection there because the pituitary makes your TSH in thyroid. So individuals that are hypothyroid and maybe their TSH isn't um, online or connected with their free hormone levels, that would be maybe an indicator to look a little deeper into pituitary. Mm -hmm. Or if you've had elevated prolactin levels in the past, another indicator to maybe look into pituitary function. We can see premature ovarian failure. Um, This can result from genetic irregularities as well as exposure to toxins, autoimmune conditions, and stress can exacerbate that. Uh, We can see issues with Turner syndrome as well as chronic kidney disease. And I think that the biggest overarching one would be mental, emotional stress or trauma. If you want to name it that, when we're looking at the HPA axis, we're thinking of, again, the hypothalamus and the pituitary stimulating the adrenal glands. And that dynamic um, push means that the hypothalamus and pituitary are putting their energy as glands into stimulating the adrenal. So they're making um, the compounds that are going to drive cortisol release. And when we're doing that, we can get inadequate function in that, again, parasympathetic world because the sympathetic space is the fight or flight mode and that's what would be upregulated in that HPA axis. That's where we're going to see pregnenolone steel where we're taking from this overall steroid hormone and instead of making sexual hormone, shunting that all into cortisol. Okay, so let's let's dig deeper on the stress connection. Um, we covered this in part two of aging gracefully just a couple of weeks back, um, but I think this can't be emphasized enough. So let's address the stress hormone and more specifically the stress estrogen connection here and how excessive stress can cause us to go low estrogen. Yeah, so... There was actually a study published in Adaptive Human Behavior and Psychology in March of 2015. So they acknowledged in this paper the negative effects of psychological stress on fertility and implications that stress and infertility have. Um, In fact, noting that infertility patients had lower risks of success in IVF and et cetera when under high stress or when measuring elevated cortisol levels, for instance, and that this was associated with early pregnancy loss and higher adrenaline and noradrenaline, which is also epinephrine or norepinephrine levels. And again, that cortisol, norepinephrine, and epinephrine all made by the adrenals, so showing that same story of when you stimulate the fight or flight response, you suppress the estrogen. And they looked in this study at women that actually by day taking in their perceived stress levels saw an indication of lower levels of estradiol in their salivary collection and even when screening for other elements like food intake, um, illness, exercise duration, that just the psychological stress alone was able to suppress the estradiol level. So again, it's this concept if you take a step back of the body saying, this individual is not safe to hold a child um, and is not safe to be in this reproductive mode. We're going to suppress these hormones that play an integral role in that healthy hormonal cycle 
this. Um, and we've talked on prior episodes about the link of adaptogen boost and specifically the rhodiola um, in aiding in spontaneous ovulation. So that would be a really good tool, I think, here uh, for women who are dealing with stress and wondering if it might be impacting hormone. Um, and then maca also is something we talk about typically in relation to progesterone, um, but it's also been shown that it can favorably impact our estrogen levels as well. Right. I mean, it targets the pituitary gland. Yep. So the pituitary gland is going to support both progesterone and estrogen metabolism and production. So getting that adaptogen in that root, the maca root, is going to help to support the pituitary. And that's also where we see you know, studies of perceived improvement in libido and and elements like that. Um, I would even add to Lend on top of the adaptogen boost that this is really where Calm and Clear would sing strong um, as a big key player. Um, And, you know, the Calm and Clear has the combination of both nervines and adaptogenic compounds as well as L-theanine. So nervines are more calming compounds where adaptogens are more aiding in adapting to stress demands and not maybe overdriving those adrenal glands. Uh, And then the L-theanine aids in alpha brainwave activity. So that concentration, focus, more artistic without that anxiety, fight or flight response. And then there's even phosphatidylserine in the calm and clear and so that could help to mitigate if the individual is pumping out excessive cortisol it can actually block that excessive cortisol level which can then in turn balance out the hormonal expression for the individual so i would probably say call to action on the stress support bundle Mm -hmm. (laughs) which includes the adaptogen boost the calm and clear and the gaba calm and just to address this if it's women now that are listening in their 20s 30s um, and are looking at at, uh, fertility and conception, a lot of them will see that, you know, as far as our icons, every supplement in the Naturally Nourished line, we provide icons of whether it's safe for pregnancy, breastfeeding, or children. And um, both the adaptogen, I think all three of those actually we don't have the safety icons for pregnancy for any of them. We've talked about GABA Calm, I think during your second trimester yeah, yeah, yeah. episode. And I used it quite a bit. Yeah, I'm always telling people like, well, what's your alternate? Are you using otherwise a black box warning right. drug, class C drug for anxiety? because we know that anxiety and chronic stress drive to um, really create metabolic imbalance and and fetal development. There's so many issues that Mm -hmm. we can see with excess cortisol and stress response. Um, But in the world of calm and clear and adaptogen boost, I always say, yeah, once you test positive, you'd want to stop both of those as far as a pregnancy test. But taking them sure as heck might help you get pregnant. Sure, (laughs) Because if your body feels calm and safe and resilient, that's going to optimize your fertility. And then, you know, at that stage of the game, you might need to rework your stress story and maybe your your life cycle um, of your commitments of life and what you can edit and so forth. Totally. And the adaptogen boost falls more into, those three fall more into the unknown category. Common clear, it's specifically the ashwagandha, um, which has been linked um, to preterm delivery. So I would say definitely cut that one out. I still used adaptogen boost kind of flexibly, you know, here and there. Maybe I cut back to like one versus two twice daily um but still kind of used it intermittent in there just for just for reference of personal yeah and what i say always say as a clinician is you know again taking it is going to improve your chances of fertility and then you recalibrate um so yeah you have to harness that stress train if you will to support sexual hormone balance yep All right. um, So let's dig in more maybe just on some of the um, symptoms and some of the things that can happen when we do have low estrogen in the body. Sure. So 
Uh, we can see changes in breast tissue and breast tenderness. So in breast tissue, maybe the more common thought of item is less fullness and decreased sure. size. I think a lot of women that they transition from breastfeeding experience that. Um, but, you know, we can see in soreness of breasts, we tend to think of that often as being like estrogen dominance mm-hmm. and the shift of the cascade towards the end of the cycle. But it can also be an indicator of low estrogen levels. Um, so we know that estrogen levels are going to drop right before your period as along with progesterone there's that boom boom drop um, but estrogen levels do a secondary increase around that luteal mid luteal cycle phase um, so variance in breast tissue though is often associated more with estrogen uh, lows yep so maybe you've been under you know high stress and all of a sudden you're down half a cup size or your bras yeah. aren't fitting I know that's happened to both of us uh, mine was probably more breastfeeding related I don't know about Same you as but, mine yeah. never came back nope me neither. <laughs> All right. And then um, fatigue and sleep issues would be another link with low estrogen. Yes. So, you know, we've talked about the melatonin and estrogen mechanism of how melatonin as an antioxidant can be very protective against breast cancer and a lot of solid research in the world of excess estrogen. But again, if we're thinking of too low of estrogen, we need estrogen because it's intimately linked to serotonin. And that's another one of those connections, of course, of mood and estrogen and shifts that can occur in mood because we think of serotonin as that master anti antidepressant and anti-anxiety compound. So estrogen levels are going to be linked to serotonin. And serotonin, again, is that precursor or manufacturing base to make melatonin. Um, So if you are having sleep issues, you're feeling fatigued, you're waking up in the middle of the night, that could mean that you don't have ample estrogen levels as your base point. And then, you know, really, we'll talk a lot more in next episode with the HRT about, you know, tips and tricks, if you will, to get things regulated in a safe way. But this is a big call to action of looking at that Labrix Neurohormone Complete Plus panel because I've seen it all across the board. I've seen either excess cortisol waking up, and this could be any age. This could be the classic if we're using the perimenopause or menopause age range where there's often that sleep disturbance disturbance. Um, You know, we can see that based on cortisol and not estrogen when we thought it would have been estrogen, or we can see it based on too low of estrogen, or they might have too low of serotonin levels. And then we could even bring in 5-HTP. But either way, melatonin, I think, is a really good tool. And this is where I would suggest our sleep support formula, because that also has a lot of those nervine herbs in there. So for two sleep support tablets, you're going to be getting three milligrams of melatonin. And that would be a safe way to again without knowing where your estrogen levels are at whether you're high or low melatonin would be appropriate because giving yourself that end block means you don't steal as much as much estrogen to produce it and again if you're already in an excess mode of estrogen then that melatonin works as an antioxidant to prevent estrogen dominance imbalances sure yep yep so double-edged and you know you get a good night of sleep on top of it yes to um, and then I think you know this one's a pretty obvious one um, disruptions in men- menstrual cycles so either um, you know disappearing cycles altogether and that would be more like perimenopause menopause or that hypothalamic or amenorrhea, amenorrhea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And, you know, estrogen is going to be the kind of powerhouse of the women's hormones, right? So estrogen is going to drive your period. If you don't have enough estrogen, your cycle can completely disappear. And um, we think of this, of course, declining with age. But as I mentioned, you know, the excess exercise, the calorie restriction, that's when we're saying amenorrhea. It means a loss of menstrual cycle that would not be associated with the timing of a a, a typical aging cycle. Um, We can also see lighter or shorter cycles in general. And then um, we can see that low estrogen levels can actually prevent ovulation and make it more difficult to get pregnant, which can drive infertility. In fact, you know, many of the like ovulation sticks out there now test for estradiol and LH. So they're looking at that luteal hormone release as well as estrogen levels to get that confirmation of successful ovulation. Okay. I didn't know that. I thought it was just LH still. Um, And then um, mood swings and depression and kind of along those lines, low sex drive can be a, a symptom. Yeah. So, you know, there's, a, I think, a combination of things going on here. Again, estrogen is going to play a role with serotonin production. So if we are dealing with low estrogen levels, we're not going to have that feel-good neurochemical, which plays a big role with mood. Um, also can play a role, of course, with like self-worth and like feeling desired. And, and that can play a piece in the libido cycle. Um, we also can see that if estrogen levels are low, we also may have low DHEA. Um, and DHEA is that steroid building hormone, which makes both estrogen and testosterone. So DHEA suppression can further lead to that low libido and just like low vigor or drive. It also can be if the HPA axis is is imbalanced and your body's basically saying, again, not safe, not the time to do the thing. And so you might get that suppressed libido as a secondary survival mechanism. And so, you know, I would say in this whole world of libido, this is where Adaptogen Boost also would be fabulous, the whole stress support bundle. But if you are someone that has known adrenal fatigue or you've taken our adrenal fatigue quiz and you're thinking that you're higher risk for suppression versus overstimulation in the adrenals, this is where, like we recommended in the gentle aging episode, adrenal support would be a really good tool because then you're getting that glandular um, to help to build some of those necessary compounds and that's going to aid and bringing up your DHEA, which means then you can produce more estrogen. And just by that factor of bringing up that vigor, drive, adrenal support, um, you're going to have that enhanced libido as well. Yes. Um, and then on the mood um in the mood vein, um, there's also some research that was published out of Harvard um, showing that low estrogen levels can actually make women more vulnerable to trauma at some points in their menstrual cycles, whereas high levels of estrogen can protect them from emotional disturbance. And this has been replicated in both women and um, rats um, by their psychiatry department showing um, that you know it can be protective against um, PTSD and, and trauma. Wow. Pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think um, headaches is an area that we don't often connect. Um, I think that a lot of women will acknowledge that they have like cyclical migraines. Mm -hmm. Um, But we tend to think again of like too high of estrogen or too low of progesterone as the headache drivers. But we can see that migraines can be a result of low estrogen levels as well. And this is because estrogen has that role on endorphins. And so it, it 
when estrogen levels are too low, we don't have that protective brain chemical response to mitigate pain or offset dynamic pain. And so the inflammatory cascade can get quite um, exacerbated with too low of estrogen. Yes. So we don't want to assume it's progesterone um, right. without testing at least. Um, and then hot flashes and night sweats, that would be a pretty obvious, again, like perimenopause, menopause symptom. Yes. And again, the connection here is that the estrogen actually affects the hypothalamus which is our body's temperature regulator. And so that HPA axis, again, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal, when estrogen levels are too low, we can get hypothalamic dysregulation, and that can impact both our circadian rhythm and sleep cycles, as well as hot flashes, night sweats, um, and dynamic body temperature changes. Even like dynamics to cold can be seen with hypothalamic dysregulation. And then... um frequent urinary tract infections. So we covered this in that Aging Gracefully part two as well, but uh, estrogen plays a role there as well. Yes. So beyond maintaining the acidity of the vagina, which plays a role in that protective chemical barrier of defense, if you will, estrogen also helps to line the urethra to support doing its job of keeping unhealthy bacteria out. So there's actually a tissue component because we're going to see the thinning of the lining in the urethra, um, and that can make it easier for bacteria to enter. Of course, then there's the pH shift, and then we also can see vaginal atrophy in itself. So of course, thinning of vaginal tissue, which can drive painful intercourse, um, you know, lack of desire um, for sexual intercourse and so forth. And so um, when we're looking at the world of estrogen and balance of UTIs and BV, the first thing I think of is uh, the women's flora probiotic. Um, this is something that can be taken orally as a good maintenance. And we've talked in past episodes about like um, summer episodes and, you know, if we're swimming in lakes and ponds and um, areas where there'd be more anaerobes um, or even sterilized environments like high chlorine pools that this can further throw off the vaginal pH and flora. And um, at these times, it'd be really important to consider vaginal insertion of the women's flora mm -hmm. probiotic. Um, so this is something that can be done, again, as a prevention for just UTIs, BV, yeast infections, but also it's going to be having a favorable support in ensuring that you get that robust, good flora um, that is going to have that competitive inhibition to ward off bacterial imbalance. Yes, super helpful. Um, all right, so what about bone loss? I think this is the big one um, yes. that you know frightens me at least. I think we think of like sexual function yeah. and then bone yeah. loss, but yeah. you know. <laughs> Either way, but those are the two. I mean, I think of, you know, like the hot flashes, libido, sexual function, and then bone loss are like the, the big ones that are thought of as like the oh no aging elements right. of, of estrogen decline. And I think that, you know, what happens with estrogen in the world of bone deterioration is it's, it's multi- um, functional, if you will, or there's multiple mechanisms of how estrogen can impact. We know that as estrogen levels decline, that bones are more readily um, at, readily at risk for fracture. Um, we know that osteoporosis has a strong trend in low estrogen levels, and the estrogen hormone itself works in tandem with calcium, vitamin D, and various minerals. So during our bone growth mechanisms, estrogen, and this is you know in children essentially, right? Both males and females. Um, estrogen is actually needed for proper closure of the epiphyseal growth plates. Is that right? The epi epiphyseal? Epiphys 
epiphyseal. Epiphyseal, sure. Something epiphyseal like that. growth plate. It's been a while <laughs> since I've had that in anatomy and physiology, but the growth plate um, closure requires estrogen. So as we're developing bones, and then even in young skeletons, estrogen deficiency can lead to increased osteoclast formation and enhanced bone resorption. So the osteoclasts are the ones that break down the bone cells. And in menopause, estrogen deficiency can actually induce the cancellous as well as the cortical bone loss. And so when we're looking at bone loss and osteoporosis, there's now a whole class of medications that utilize SERMs or selective estrogen response modulators. And these work on the estrogen receptor to affect bone homeostasis by down-regulating the activity of the osteoclasts. So again, the SERMs basically reduce the action of the cells that break into the bone. And um, there's actually a transforming growth factor dependent manner that aids in reducing the bone resorption when SERMs are used as an intervention. And so these are now a novel tool in preventing osteoporosis. And then we would use our osteofactors likely for anyone who is known low estrogen. And really we've talked about this becoming important like age 30 plus or at least 35 plus. And again, especially um, during times of pregnancy and Mm. breastfeeding, we tend to see that we leach so many minerals um, from the body for supporting baby's growth and development. Um, Osteofactors has the form of calcium in the bone matrix. So it's a microcrystalline hydroxycalapatite or an MCHC form of calcium. And it is derived from grass-fed New Zealand cows bone. Um, And so when you take osteofactors, what's beautiful about it is we have seen in clinical literature a dynamic support in bone density. Um, We've seen uh, actual Z-score improvement when looking at tests on bone thinning, like like, um, progression from osteoporosis to from osteopenia to osteoporosis and reversal even, Mm -hmm. um, or bone density improvement. Um, And so this is really important because when we think of calcium supplementation, most of the calcium on the market are going to be um, not even elemental. They're going to be more water soluble. um, And the forms of calcium that are more available for direct to consumer sale are also the forms of calcium that can drive calcification of soft tissues. And therein opens the world of concern of heart disease when we think of like carotid artery scans we don't want to see calcification of our arteries or our vessels that can actually drive vascular dysfunction heart disease Um, so what we really like about is if you're using a calcium we really highly strongly recommend an mchc form like is in our osteofactors as well as of course monitoring and ensuring that you're vitamin D levels optimized and that your vitamin D is balanced with K1 and K2 with that MK7 form like our vitamin D balance blend is because that in itself not only enhances vitamin D absorption, but it aids in regulation of the calcification in the body. Yep. And oftentimes low estrogen will go hand in hand with the vitamin D, especially um, in the case of like hypothalamic amenorrhea or um, higher stress states. We'll see that often if you're not supplementing. Yeah. And vitamin D is a pro-hormone, you know, it's always just thought of as a fat-soluble vitamin, but plays such a role in our hormone levels. We talked about 
in the YouTube video we should link just because of the timeliness of being around. We're past Valentine's Day, but um, we did that libido video on our YouTube video, our YouTube channel, excuse me. And then I'm not sure if that was the one where we talked about the studies of low vitamin D and low testosterone uh-huh. as well. I believe so. Um, so we'll link that YouTube. It's a fun video to watch. We have one on aphrodisiacs and then one on libido. We can link them both. I will do that. Um, and then vaginal atrophy. And we covered this in aging gracefully as well. Uh, but it's not necessarily just something that's going to come with age. It could just be low estrogen or times of low estrogen. Like when you're breastfeeding, you could experience some of this. Yeah, absolutely. So when we're seeing, it's also known as atrophic vaginitis. Um, and basically the vagina's deterioration, um, that occurs with declining or too low of estrogen levels. Um, and so we can start to see thinner, um, tissue. Um, we can start to see drier tissue and less, um, mucosal membrane function. Um, and then this of course, over time can drive painful intercourse Um, and we can also see in individuals that have the vaginal atrophy that um, they might be more prone towards bleeding following intercourse um, lack of lubrication Mm -hmm. itching discomfort even like with just wearing underwear jeans like jeans can be very disturbing for instance with vaginal atrophy burning during urination um, as well as more bladder urgency which could be tied again to that more ph and and bacterial susceptibility Um, if we know that we're dealing with some level of vaginal atrophy this is also where i would highly suggest uh following intercourse using the women's flora probiotic as an insertion as just a great way to kind of again balance back that ph and um, then prevent that chicken and egg which can lead to then the chronic bv or utis that can be associated Mm -hmm. with you know vaginal atrophy and um intercourse yep Um, And then we've talked about um, some of our other tools um, in that Aging Gracefully episode, but the um, Foria CBD suppositories would be really helpful for more of the painful sex side of things. And Uh they will provide some lubrication in the moment. They won't necessarily restore tissue per se. Right. Um, That would be more the HLA suppositories, the um, Bonafide. Yep. So also the name of a bone broth company, but in this sense, the the Bonafide (laughs) is um, a suppository with hyaluronic acid. And so this is going to actually help more with like that supple tissue, the um, elasticity of the tissue. So less prone towards like uh, pain, thinning, tearing, and um, also has some of that lubricant element. And then Jolva by Dr. Anna Kabeka, um, we will link that as well. Um, this is a cream um, that you can use all the time just for like vaginal tissue health. Um, always easier to get ahead of versus treat right. once you're in a deficiency. So this is something that I'm, you know, recommending women play with in their 30s and just to apply like even three times a week. It has alpine rose stem cell. It has some DHEA in there um, just to support tissue health and turgidity or tissue strength. Um, And also it will help somewhat as a moisturizer with healthy vaginal lubrication. And then I would also enter in the world of lubricants in general. So like the Coco Nuvo, I think it's called, or Coconut, it's a coconut-based lipid-soluble lubricant that I think would be a great thing to use. And then just good old-fashioned coconut oil, um, keeping coconut oil by the nightstand can work well. But I will say if you have resistant bacterial vaginosis or imbalance of your pH, that the coconut oil could contribute to imbalancing that further. But if you're not someone that deals with frequent UTIs and yeast infections, coconut oil can be the best lube that doesn't
doesn't have any of the phthalates or any of those compounds that we wouldn't otherwise put on our skin, why sure. would we put it in some very right, susceptible, exactly. highly absorbable tissue? I know it's so wild when you read the ingredients of lubricants. And KY and for, <laughs> for clients. I'm like, mm, let's just go with like coconut or avocado oil. Like, yeah. let's keep coconut it really oil is great. It's edible. It's, you know, solid at room temperature. It melts on the body. It's kind of fun. Just saying. Yeah. Um, and then let's just cover maybe a few additional symptoms of, of low estrogen that we haven't hit. So starting with like brain fog, yeah. memory, concentration. So we hit kind of the mood shifts of like what's being deemed like over-emotional. Obviously yeah. there's fluctuations in serotonin. There's fluctuations in endorphins. Um, but there's also been shown to see some cognitive decline on memory, concentration, and focus. Um, we can see more prone towards inflammation in general. So we can see aching joints, which might be a combination of both both the osteoclast activity mm-hmm. that occurs higher with low estrogen levels, so actual bone breakdown, as well as not having that endorphin pain management element working for our favor. Um, we can also see just thinning skin um, throughout the body. So we talked a lot about vaginal tissue, but you know, if we're talking about on our face or in our hands, um, any any part of the body, we can start to see loss of turgidity or basically sagging skin um, and thinning skin. We can see um, dryness in the skin as well as like in our lacrimal, um, which is our um, area by like our tear ducts. So we can see drier eyes in general. Um, we can also see hair thinning and hair loss, which I think I did mention, and then um, abdominal body weight or like love handles, which again, we tend to associate right. with estrogen dominance, but unless you're testing, you know, don't guess, test. Right. If you're going to play with the world of hormones, aside from some of these functional, foundational elements sure. of like regulate the sleep, get the healthy fats, and we'll, we'll close today with some food as medicine, but we got a little bit more. Yes. Um, so let's talk um, cardiovascular system because this is one that's kind of double-edged as well where too low and too high of estrogen can have negative impact. Totally. And so, um, you know, I think that what's kind of discussed louder is that excess estrogen can drive blood clots. Mm -hmm. And we think of this especially like on your birth control pills. It'll be like may cause, you know, blood clot or stroke risk factor. Um, But we have to acknowledge that estrogen levels are going to be associated with lipid regulation. And often, and I'm always telling patients this when they have a dynamic increase in their LDL, I say, well, are you having any active weight loss or are you having any hormone shifts or hormone symptoms? Because your body is going to increase that LDL Mm -hmm. in attempts to produce estrogen. Um, And so we can see with low estrogen levels, an increase of the LDL, um, as well as a decline of the HDL. So you might see dyslipidemia where that that quote unquote bad cholesterol is going up and your protective cholesterol is going down. Um, We know that healthy, robust estrogen levels actually play a benefit of increasing our HDL and regulating or decreasing the LDL cholesterol. We know that um, estrogen can play a role with our blood vessel function. We tend to think of estrogen as more as a vasoconstrictor and progesterone more as a vasodilator. But in the mechanism that estrogen plays such a role with tissue, um, you know, there can be some vascular dysfunction from too low of estrogen. Um, And we know that estrogen also plays a role to regulate free radical exposure. And so some of the, you know, free radicals that could be in the blood that could otherwise damage, create oxidative stress in the arteries and tissues could be um, 
protected against with ample estrogen levels. Yes. Um, and the WISE study actually linked low estrogen in younger women with increased cardiovascular risk. Um, so looking at 69% of young women with coronary artery disease having low levels of estrogen compared with 29% of those who were heart healthy. Yeah. And I think important to note in this WISE study, kind of what we've been harping on of those individuals that had the coronary artery disease, you know, they were tied to extreme exercise and dieting as contributing factors. And so again, these could have been individuals that did not have an elevated BMI and what we associate as other like unhealthy characteristics that would right. drive heart disease. These could be the over-exercisers, you know, you know, working their aerobic exercise daily, good otherwise cardiovascular function. But because of that stress to the body, there was that suppression to the hormone, which overall had a more harmful impact on overall heart health. Yes. Um, should we talk about testing real quick? I know we mentioned a little bit on yeah. the hormone um, panel, but let's just emphasize the importance of kind of knowing where your estrogen is at before, um, certainly the, the dietary interventions would be safe, but before you kind of know which tree you're barking up. Yeah, I think- And like I said, there's so many overlapping, sometimes confusing symptoms, and we don't want to just refer to, oh, I recently read a blog on this, so it must be this. (laughs) Um, You know, I think that testing is really important, and um, for any of you like type A food as medicine or wellness warriors that are looking to always self-improve and level up your health, I think it's important to understand where your baseline is and, um, you know, how your body is responding to what you're actually doing as your wellness interventions because again all too often the things you're doing to improve your health might be overtaxing or distressing or driving imbalance so I am a huge proponent of the Labrix Neurohormone Complete Plus panel we'll put a link on our show notes about this and you can go on AllieMillerRD.com under labs and check out more details on that as well Um, this is beautiful because it looks at the entire HPA axis so you're actually looking at a four-point cortisol assessment, you're looking at the DHEA levels, you're looking at of your estrogen all three types, which next week's episode will nerd out more about the balance of our estrone or E1, our estradiol E2, and our estriol or E3. Um, And so often when you do a blood test with your physician, they're just going to test your estradiol levels. And it's really important to know all three forms of estrogen. And we'll get again nerdier on that when we talk bioidentical and hormone replacement therapy, but you get an assessment of all estrogen forms. You also get an assessment of progesterone and testosterone, and then it also includes your neurotransmitters. So like I said, sometimes too low of serotonin might be the issue versus maybe your estrogen. Maybe your estrogen levels are optimized, and if you can get your serotonin levels back on track, then that's going to be kind of a blockade so that your estrogen doesn't get depleted due to the low serotonin, for instance. Um, So in the neurotransmitters, we look at our serotonin, our uh, GABA, our glycine. We also look at the three from the adrenals. So again, a little further stress assessment with our dopamine, norepinephrine, and epinephrine, and then other markers, even like histamine, which can play a huge role if there's mast cell disorder or there's fermentation from dysbiosis. We can see a lot from this panel. And for women that are cycling, 
you're going to take this panel on a day that is um, in your and your kind of midpoint of your luteal phase. And so about days 19 to 21 of a menstrual cycle for a woman that's menstruating on a 28-day cycle. Um, and so again, that's day one is the start of your period being day one. And then you'd collect a, a day that falls between 19 and 21. And then for women that have gone more than 45 days without a cycle, and that's a recurring pattern, then they can test at any day. But we just say, try to a note when you did last cycle and if you do since you've submitted your sample so we can kind of make a sure. story of all that information but when you order labs at AllieMillerRD.com that does come with a customized lab review from either Becky or myself and so you will fill out a form on what symptoms you're dealing with what drove you to draw the panel what your goals are what supplements you're currently taking and then we look at the data and then we tailor interventions specific for your body's needs so great value when you order labs through our website yes and i love that panel because it like you said it gives context to the story of not just telling us that one particular hormone is low but we didn't test anything else that surrounds it so we don't know like is it low because your dhea has declined and if we give dhea that's going to convert into estrogen and thereby increase your levels you know in that way Uh, so a lot more context and just a tighter reference range as well the the you know estrogen blood test typically you're testing on like day two or three of your cycle but there's such a wide range that it's uncommon to really see like a big deficiency there whereas with this test we have a tighter range of functional and what we like to see yeah and you know just to kind of harp on that point becky a little further of why we need to know what's going on you know you could have suppressed estrogen levels with suppressed cortisol as well as suppressed estrogen with excess cortisol. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, knowing the other pieces relative to the low or high estrogen is super essential to make sure that you really do address from the root cause versus just kind of band-aiding and silencing the symptoms. All right. Let's talk on food as medicine interventions a little bit, um, starting with fat. I think um, this is one that we emphasize in that amenorrhea episode and, and you know, talking about fat um, as the building block of hormone in general, I think can't be emphasized enough a high fat and high good quality fat diet. Yes. So this is where nutritional ketosis could be beautiful because it's going to be a fat dominant diet. The big things we want to make sure is if you're running low estrogen, that you are eating enough calories. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're not going keto and then forgetting to eat. (laughs) So you need to have fat dominance in the diet and quality fats as well as variety of fat sources. So probably more of like a keto Mediterranean approach to the diet. And then depending on your body fat reserves is what you'd use as a tool to determine whether you were going to have any level of calorie restriction or whether you're doing this more as a refeeding approach. Um, And for many individuals that are not um, in that perimenopause, menopausal mode. So the women that are in their 20s and 30s, they're going to probably need to just be layering fat in. Um, maybe even they won't need to be pulling their carbs down below 90, depending on the individual. Sure. Um, and then full fat dairy, that might be something we shy away from if we're experiencing those symptoms of estrogen dominance. But if we know that we've got symptoms of low estrogen, I would say go for dairy if you can tolerate it. Yeah, I'm always, when I see someone with you know estradiol levels that are below the 0.8 range, I'm always inquiring on you know how are they consuming dairy or if are they, and do they have access to raw milk? <laughs> if yeah. you have access to raw milk, get yourself going on some raw milk pretty regularly because you're going to get all of those immune 
immunoglobulins as well. Um, you're getting, of course, uh, good probacteria and um, the fatty acid profile in a raw milk is going to be fabulous because there's no denaturization that can occur, you know, from the filtration process or the pasteurization. Uh, and so full fat dairy, ideally raw milk would be fabulous. Um, could use that to make yogurt, uh, cheese, etc. And then if it is pasteurized, you just want low heat pasteurized and if possible, non-homogenized even um, to get more of that cream influence for the estrogen support. Yes. All the good stuff. And I guess, you know, for the bone health, there is that benefit. I know that in the functional medicine world and or like dietitian world, it's like, well, you can get calcium from your broccoli and you can get calcium from your greens and whatnot. But, you know, there are, you know, we love vegetables and we're big fans of that omnivore approach of getting veg in the diet for sure. But there are anti-nutrients and there are going to be compounds in vegetables that inhibit calcium absorption. So I think for the healthy age, aging element, full fat dairy could be a great thing to add into your diet and um, doing like a full fat Greek yogurt a couple times a week. Then you're getting probiotics, protein, calcium, and estrogen. I think all good things and a great way to kind of pace and start your day. Yes. And a permission slip for cheese perhaps would be (laughs) in there too. Um, And then let's talk maybe some of the foods um, that have known phytoestrogen impacts. So starting with flaxseed, we've talked about this, you know, on kind of both ends of of the spectrum. Yeah. So flaxseed would go beautifully in that Greek yogurt little parfait that I have you making. And um, flaxseed is rich in the lagnans, um, which aid in boosting and aiding in estrogen metabolism. So they have phytoestrogens, which can support the body's estrogen balance. Um, We know that flaxseed can improve fertility. It can reduce hot flashes, support um, vaginal lubrication or prevent vaginal dryness. And um, we do know also in the world of estrogen dominance that the flaxseed does have a favorable role on the metabolism of the forms of estrogen. Um, Again, we'll get nerdy into the esterone, estradiol, estriol, as well as the metabolites of the hydro forms of estrogen and etc. in next episode. And that's where we see uh, more of the estrogen antagonist or the less dominant form of estrogen increasing in the urine of individuals that consume flaxseed. So it has that protection against estrogen dominance while still supporting those that have low estrogen related symptoms. Sure. So like you said, adding it to a, a Greek yogurt parfait or dumping like one to two tablespoons in your green smoothie. I put them in my green smoothie Really fantastic. Yep. yep. Um, and then soy is one that um, is more controversial, um, but does have, you know, some promising research in terms of bringing estrogen levels up. So research on using soy as opposed to, let's say, estradiol, which is that dominant hormone used in hormone replacement therapy, have been shown about half of the efficacy, so 25% efficacy as compared to 44.9 in a study that looked at the soy isoflavones compared to estradiol. I will note though that the soy isoflavones take quite a while to kick in, upwards of almost a year, so 48 weeks to actually have some clinical efficacy of use as opposed to like two to three weeks when you're using the estradiol itself. Um, But the uh, soy in its form also, if eating in more of a whole food form, um, you are going to get some of the cardioprotective fiber in there. Um, But we do have to be mindful of the impact of 
lectins and phytates, and these are kind of those anti-nutrients. Lectins are the ones that can be destructive on gut. Um, we know phytates can bind minerals, which would you know interfere with maybe calcium uh, regulation in the body. And then also not to mention that in the world of soy, we are having some interference with thyroid health. So often we're thinking of like the perimenopausal age. That's also when we start to see sure. hypothyroidism showing its head and metabolic issues. And so we do have to be mindful of the goitrogenic impact of soy and the interference with thyroid hormone activation, um, which is probably why I would shelf soy or I would say, you know, really stick to the traditional fermented right. forms of soy. Um, so not a fan of soy milk, not a fan of, you know, consuming tofu on the regular. I would say if doing tempeh, which is like the whole soybean that's been broken down and fermented, um, that's going to help to reduce some of those anti-nutrients, reduce the lectin impact, so less gut harm, you know, aiding um, in less of that blocking of mineral absorption. And then things like miso, um, as well as fermented sauces like tamari and so forth, those would be reasonable options. But again, I kind of would think of soy as a condiment versus a focused food because there's just such touch and go in the literature. Exactly. And, and most other countries that consume like the tofu even use it more so as a, a condiment, like the amount of miso or the amount of tofu that's in miso soup is like a couple of tablespoons of, of cubes not a giant block and it's also about like what are we replacing with the the soy right if we're replacing nutrient-dense protein um no bueno yes um and then legumes in general so not just soybeans but um mung beans and green beans look like um they might be helpful as well Yes, those ones actually had a more um, overlap in the isoflavones that are identified to be favorable for estrogen metabolism. So any legumes would be fine, but the green bean and the mung bean were those that were seen to be most effective. Um, and the others may, may have just like a, a trace effect. So anytime you're doing beans, I highly recommend though that you are soaking them and you are using kombu, which is a seaweed. Uh, you can get that. We can link that for my Amazon store, Eden is a brand of that. And I like to add kombu just to like bone broth as well to enhance mineralization. Um, but that will help to break down those phytates. And then if you're looking at beans in um, a can, Eden brand beans, they use the kombu in there. So sure. that could be like garbanzo beans if you're doing our beet hummus, which would be really beautiful. Um, and that would also incorporate another focused food, which is sesame seed. Yes. So sesame seed, we, we would be getting in the form of tahini in our hummus recipe, for example. And sesame seeds have shown to have a similar impact of the lignans that are in flaxseed. Um, there was a study of postmenopausal women consuming 50 grams of sesame seed powder a day for over five weeks, and they saw increased estrogen levels as well as improved lipid or cholesterol levels. Okay. And those could be used as a fun like condiment or like, you know, everything bagel blend has sesame seeds in it. So <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in for that. Yes. <laughs> Um, and then kuzuru actually is one that we discussed, I forget on what episode, but rather recently, didn't we? I don't know. Oh, probably for like inflammatory bowel, yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. for ulcerations. Okay. Yeah. I tend to think of it for ulcerations. Right. And I used kudzu root a lot in um, the work that I did with MD Anderson when I was doing uh, developing a food as medicine uh, protocol for stage three breast cancer. And uh, kudzu, we were using more as a therapeutic for like oral ulcers mm -hmm. from chemotherapy treatment. But it's basically a starchy root that is native to East Asia. And it is also rich in phytoestrogens. And um, the isoflavin 
cannabinoid that it is most dominant in can play a role with estrogen receptors having a uh, favorable influence as a CIRM. So again, a selective estrogen receptor modulator, and it's been shown to be able to increase estrogen levels by binding estrogen receptors and improving symptoms of low estrogen, aiding in bone density, as well as cardio risk factors, uh, and um, has been shown that you can get these effects in just 25 to 50 milligrams daily. Okay. I think it was the H. pylori episode because we were talking ulcers and and, uh, food as medicine for that. I need Uh, gut stuff. Yes. (laughs) And then back to our hummus recipe. If you throw some garlic in there, you're going to get some added benefits as well. Yes. I know I'm totally making that for a Galentine's Day celebration. I'm like, oh, beet hummus. Duh. (laughs) Like what could be better? So yes, garlic in the world of the onion family. You're getting those isoflavonoids. Um, We're seeing that these play a big role, of course, um, as these phytoestrogens. And um, when we look at garlic, there is like 603 micrograms of phytoestrogens per 100 grams. Um, We know that garlic is a great way to start any of your dishes. And of course, there's big benefits on lipid regulation in garlic as well as immune and so much more. So I think that that'd be a great one to just add extra into your dish. Yeah, I think a pro tip from our cooking is like whatever the recipe says, double garlic at least. seasoning spices, take that as a suggestion of getting the ingredient (laughs) and eat more of it. Yes. Um, And then I think of stone fruit. So, you know, a lot of stone fruit actually um, is thought of as support against breast cancer. So thinking of like peaches, apricots, plums, um, but dried fruit um, in that vein has been shown to actually have more favorable levels of phytoestrogens than their fresh varieties. So like dried apricots or even prunes or dates, um, these could be uh, used as a favorable tool that you could do with like a trail mix um, or chop up and, and put into your parfait that we were talking about earlier Um, and then fennel also has some phytoestrogen impact which i don't think of that very often um as an herb that i use although we put them in um meatballs recently i I more so fennel seeds yeah fennel seeds um i do more so like fresh fennel yeah i was thinking um, of fennel bulb um and i was thinking that's a great like spring dish you know i think it's a really nice bright option isn't there a fennel salad in the 12 week keto meal plan one coming okay there well, is so i was like I know I, know I know i know what week it's been on my mind of a flavor profile and then just sprouts in general so we mentioned the mung bean sprouts but alfalfa sprouts um adding sprouts of course are going to have that that's the potential of the plant so there's going to be such a high orac score or antioxidant score in your sprouts um great levels in the alfalfa sprouts of vitamin k and vitamin c so getting that good bone health support as well as the phytoestrogens that are present there these could be topped on your bone broth or on your egg in the morning or just throw it on any savory dish or salad okay that's a good amount of food goals but hopefully we've given you some inspiration of how to like combine them and and work them in yeah um let's hit supplemental support what are kind of the necessary supplements for increasing estrogen yeah so i mean the first one i go to in the world of hormone in general is relax and regulate um, this is because the myo-inositol in there plays such a huge role with supporting cellular health and communication we've seen myo-inositol having dynamic favorable effect on ovulation and follicle maturity as well as improving sexual hormone binding globulin aiding in mood stability supporting deep restorative sleep so like all of the downstream 
impacts could be supported by myo inositol. And we've seen in clinical literature that four grams a day, which is the amount in just one scoop of our relax and regulate, um, is going to aid in increasing or inducing ovulation in upwards of 62% of women that were treated compared to uh, Clomid, which is you know a medication that's often used in the infertility world. So myo inositol in the relax and regulate is huge. And then of course that's combined with magnesium bisglycinate, which plays a huge role in our neuromuscular system and offsetting that stress response. So we've hit hard that stress is not sexy and stress will literally imbalance your sex hormones. So the relax and regulate has that myo inositol to hit ovulation, sexual hormone production and balance and mood and sleep, and then the magnesium to aid in that fight or flight stress response. Um, I also would say a second close, uh, close second would be B-complex. And um, we have talked about in past episodes like post-birth control syndrome and how B vitamins often get depleted when individuals are on birth control. Um, This is dually important because B vitamins play a role in the creation and activation of estrogen in the body. So if we have depleted B vitamins, which guess what? B vitamins get burned out by stress. (laughs) So, you know, we think of B vitamins playing a big role with energy metabolism, but it also goes without saying that they're a huge harness to our sexual hormone balance. In fact, there was a study where researchers compared levels of B vitamins to breast cancer risk in premenopausal women, and results indicated that a higher level of B2 and B6 were actually associated with a lower risk of breast cancer, um, and that likely had an influence with how those B vitamins, so this is riboflavin and pyridoxine, how they play a role with favorable estrogen metabolism. Um, so this is actually both of those two are included in our common women's clear. hormone. Yeah, okay. Or, oh, I sorry. It's like B2 and B6 also oh. in common clear, so that yes. might be a... You know, between that and B-complex, you might decide which one you want to yes, so invest I, in. But. And I don't even think I mentioned that when I was talking Calm and Clear earlier. I talked about nervines, right. adaptogens, L-theanine, and phosphatidylserine. But there's a suite of B vitamins in the Calm and Clear, which makes it a really good foundational tool. Um, absolutely. And so I think that, you know, that and in that in that world, adaptogen boost, and then if feeling that stress burnout, maybe the adrenal support would also be good tools for the lower estrogen levels. Um, but I was going to mention in our women's yes. hormone <laughs> bundle, um, we have three uh, formulas in there. It's the relax and regulate, the B-complex, and then the Brocco detox, which I'll save us nerding out on Brocco detox for next week's episode when we're really looking at the role of the Eindol 3 carbonyls on estrogen dominance. But um, what's beautiful about the Brocco detox is it's high antioxidant and the sprout component that will not deplete or or right. bring down your estrogen levels. So it's one that would be absolutely safe to use in an unknown, but just know that you're dealing with hormone imbalance in general. Um, that would be a really great bundle, the women's hormone bundle. And then I think I harped pretty hard on the stress support bundle as well. Yes. Um, and then vitamin D, we mentioned on a little bit functioning as a hormone in the body. So making sure that your vitamin D levels are optimal. Uh, so in the you know, 50, 60, 70 plus yep. range. Um, and if not, supplementing with our vitamin D balance blend. 
Yes, we know that vitamin D plays a role as a pro-hormone in estrogen synthesis, and we've seen research studies that show lower vitamin D levels associated with also lower estrogen levels. And then the um, other area in the world of fat, just to kind of close out here, I think of our omega-3, so the EPA DHA extra. Um, That's a great way to ensure that you're getting those anti-inflammatory, cognitive enhancing, so if we're dealing with any of the mood or the memory elements and things like that, or or the aching joints and whatnot, the EPA DHA extra is great because you're getting that anti-inflammatory omega-3. And the fats, again, very essential in supporting our cell wall function. Also, fats are necessary for hormone production. Um, So getting that investment of that quality omega-3 with the EPA DHA extra would be key. And then um, if we're thinking of the world of estrogen, I would even look at the world of like gamma linoleic acid or GLAs and EPO or evening primrose oil. Uh, This is probably the kind of longer standing test of time, um, you know, beyond, well, soy, of course, in traditional countries, but as far as remedies that have been used for PMS and menopause, um, we think of the primrose oil because of its high levels of omega-6 fatty acids, um, can have some favorable influence on estrogen, um, and estrogen metabolism. And, um, there was a study that showed 2,200 women that used evening primrose oil after discontinuing hormone replacement um, actually were able to regulate their symptoms of low estrogen with menopause without the hormone replacement tool. Um, And so that's something that you can do um, in your smoothies or in a capsule form. Um, We'll add one to our Amazon store of our favorite option um, that we'll link in the show notes. All right, will do. So lots of stuff here. Um, You know, big picture, hopefully this kind of opens your eyes to the world that estrogen is not bad. In fact, we need it. And it has a lot of mechanisms of action that actually enhance our quality of health, um, as well as our day-to-day function and support fertility, as well as gentle aging process. Um, Hopefully you're able to apply some of these food as medicine goals and think of in the supplement tool section, what are the most dynamic ones that you need to bring in as interventions for you. And if you want to get a big boost of estrogen, definitely grab a spot at our women's wellness workshop where we'll all be combining and hugging and all of the good things. (laughs) Um, We didn't talk about that, but actually that increases estrogen. Yeah, I know. It is. Oxytocin and estrogen (laughs) connection is so huge too. And um, I can't wait to meet y'all. So um, go on over to AllieMillerRD.com and grab a spot today. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.